Welcome to the Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast. In this podcast, you'll get discussions and interviews 100% dedicated to helping financial advisors with their marketing challenges, as well as sharing what's working well in their practice. The Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast is produced by FinancialAdvisors.com, the premier directory for financial advisors across the U.S. Your hosts and panelists include Jim Eckel, president of FinancialAdvisors.com, and Ken Tucker, marketing solutions architect. So thank you for checking us out, and please let us know how we can better help you grow your advisory practice. Welcome to the Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast, brought to you by FinancialAdvisors.com, the consumer-friendly, advisor-driven, comprehensive marketing platform for the financial services industry. Today, we'd like to welcome Phil Weiss, CEO of Apprise Wealth Management. Welcome, Phil. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. Phil, I wanted to start out with asking a question. First of all, how long have you been an advisor? And in what part of the country are you practice uh, your advisory services? I formed my firm in 2017, July of 2017, but I actually didn't really get started managing the business for about a year because I was doing some other things. It was a transition for me to get to here. I am located in Phoenix, but not the one in Arizona. There's another one that most people don't know about in Maryland, which is Hmm. about 20 miles north of Baltimore. All right. Can you tell us a little bit about your advisory practice, Phil? What are your specializations are, who you serve, and where your clients are typically based? The niche that I'm developing, I, guess, I, I work with a lot of women. That could okay. be, they could be single, they could be divorced, they could be married, or in many cases, they're the ones that kind of lead the process for a married couple. Sometimes that's just because they're really driving it, and sometimes it also could be that the husband worried about like what's going to happen when he's gone because what you often find is that the husband takes care of the finances because that's kind of like the societal norm. It's changing. Like when you talk to younger couples, it's not always that way. But for more mature couples, that's often the case. The husband's been saving. So the wife says, well, so we've been saving. What are we going to do? What does this mean? What is going to happen when we retire? He can't answer those questions. So that's when they look out and find somebody like me who can help them with that put together a financial plan. So I'm a fee-only advisor. I do financial plans and I do investment management. In addition to like what I said, from a niche perspective, you know, I started my career as a CPA. I do focus on taxes. I try not to do tax returns. Every once in a while, somebody asks me to do one and I'll give in. (laughs) But to me, taxes and investing are joined at the hip. So there's lots of tax things that you can take into consideration when you're managing your assets that really matter because they can leave you either with a dollar more to spend today or save for tomorrow. It's a very holistic approach. I really try to get to know the people that I'm working with and know and understand my clients. I want to have, it's nice if your clients become more your friends and just people that you're doing some things for. Where are your clients typically based? Because of how my client base is, I get my clients, about half my clients are in Maryland, but the other half are all over the place. I have clients in 15 states plus Washington, D.C. My furthest clients are located in California, Arizona, and Seattle, Washington, but they're more concentrated. I said half of them are in Maryland. I have a number of clients in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Virginia. How did you get those clients that are not real close to you? A lot of those clients came to me. So I work with Zoe Financial, which is a solicitor. They have made those introductions. 
Okay. I mean, that's where, where a lot of those come from. Awesome. I'm just curious to hear from you. What do you see as your biggest marketing challenges? For me, I mean, I guess a couple of things. So I blog regularly, which okay. if you look at your site, you can see that because I'm always posting them. Right. On the site. I've done webinars and, and I've done ask me anything type things. I know I produce good content, but it's how do I get more people to see it? Right. That's like, that's a big thing to me. And I like, Zoe's been a good partner, but I'd like to have it so that I wasn't as dependent upon them. So that's where most of my efforts are directed towards reducing that reliance a little bit. That's great. And one of the things we love is doing podcasts because podcasts are really great pieces of content that can get a lot more exposure for you. It's a multi-purpose piece of content. It's audio, it's video. You can take it, transcribe it, turn it into words. Google loves to search words to help people find uh, what they're looking for. So it's really a multi-purpose piece of content. I'm really glad to hear you're doing webinars and, and things like that because, again, that's setting you up to be a marketing powerhouse from a content perspective. So then the next thing is, how are you trying to get that content in front of the right people? Have you been working on that at all? I have. And the other thing I'll tell you too, going back to content, I also send out, I like video. I was an analyst for a while and I used to do CNBC and stuff like that. So I'm comfortable okay. in that kind of environment. So I like to send out video, even like when I get introduced to a prospect, they get a video from me so that they can see who I am. Yeah. We meet. I have a distribution list. So when I, I send a blog out every week and when I send out my blog, everybody in my distribution list gets a copy. Okay. I also put out things on social media. I primarily use Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And I put my content out those ways as well. Those are the primary things that I'm doing at this point. I'm looking at to try to figure out what else I can do just to get, get it out there. I find that it works really well when you create like a 12-month social media campaign for every blog post that you do or every new piece of content that you publish. It's a great way to drive traffic back to that blog post because social media is kind of like a river it's just flowing right in front of you when you look at the news feed it's constantly changing and facebook is becoming a challenge are you putting it on your personal profile or are you doing it through a business page i do have a business page okay but most of the time when i put out my social media content it always goes to my personal page because i'm using buffer to help me distribute things Okay. And Buffer only connects to the personal page, but I will try and put some of the other content on my business page as well. Yeah, that's all great. I'm glad to hear that. I would encourage you to take a look at, and there are some really cool automated tools that we use, for example, that will allow you to build a social media campaign to keep driving traffic throughout the year back to that blog post. That actually has a really strong cumulative effect in getting more eyeballs onto, onto those posts. Well, thanks, because I, I do recirculate some of them, but probably not enough. Oh, and the yeah. other thing I've done is I'm not totally finished. I've only done a soft launch at this point, but also to try to improve my exposure and everything else, I've redone my web. I'm in the process of redoing my website. Like, the new website's up, but I haven't changed all the verbiage mm -hmm. yet. Phil, one question. Uh, we've talked a lot about the uh, inbound marketing. What about outbound marketing? Do you find that? being part of an association has been, has been beneficial to you in the past or what type of outbound marketing have you done? I think my map is probably more inbound than outbound. I and mean, the, the problem that I honestly run into with some of the sites and one of the things that I like about your site is that I'm a member of XYPN. I'm a member of NAPA. I'm not a CFP. 
I don't think that it really adds a lot of value to what I offer to do it. I mean, I've thought about doing it, and I might. I signed up to do the PFS, which is the CPA equivalent of the CFP. Mm -hmm. But they won't list me on their sites because I'm not a CFP. And wow. that to me is frustrating. There's so many people out there, and I know that my credentials are good, but it's hard to do that. So you know, I'm trying to do other things, but that to me bothered me. Like I said, that's one of the reasons it was nice when you guys were like, do you guys don't care about that? I'm glad you bring that up, Phil, because our model includes not only investment advisors, but also tax professionals. Like you said before, prior in the show, there's such a symbiotic relationship between an investment advisor and a tax professional because one begets the other. And we figured that would be great for our model as to only concentrate on those two because they work, they tend to work together. Lots of times they don't get each other's business and so forth. But when it comes to people like yourself who are CPAs <laughs> and uh, very knowledgeable of, of taxes and also investments, but you don't have a that credential CFP, that's where our site can come in very handy. And thanks for bringing that up because that's our marketplace, basically. <laughs> yeah. Do you get many referrals? You mentioned a couple of things. Is that a, like a critical element of your marketing strategy? Absolutely is. As a matter of fact, today I met with a prospect and they were a referral and they agreed to become a client. So that is a part of it. You asked about outbound marketing and I did forget. So one of the things that I did to be a little bit different as part of my referral effort was in January, I believe it was, I reached out to all my clients, but I sent them a letter, like the mm -hmm. old fashioned letter. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. Email. I typed up a letter, right. yeah. I addressed envelopes, I put them in the mailbox, you know, what we used to do. I yep. did try that and I got a little bit of response to that. I mean, some of my efforts on referrals have helped. So that's yeah. definitely something that is important to me. Yeah, actually direct mail can work pretty well. Partly because people are getting a lot less mail than they used to, unless you're running up against political mail, stuff like that. So you have to be cognizant of that, obviously. And in some cases, people actually find direct mail, they feel like it's more personalized. It's also even kind of a novelty sometimes. So direct mail is still a really important channel to do, even if it's to a, a cold list. It sounds like you sent it to people who already know you. Yes. And that's always going to be better converting than it, when you send direct mail to people who don't know you. But still, it can be a powerful channel. The tricky thing is how do you measure the direct mail? For you, since you were sending it to people who you already knew, I mean, there was kind of a natural way for you to measure that. But driving people to someplace online is usually a really good way to be able to measure that. That's interesting. I'm glad to hear you're still doing some old school stuff because we live in a digital world. And sometimes, especially with what we've just gone through in the in the last 18 months, I mean, anything you can do to personalize something, whether it's the video that you're including in your email or even that direct mail has a different touch and a different feel to it than something that's just a straight up social media post. And I will tell you, like, I think the video is really important. And not everybody that I send video to gives me feedback, but I've never gotten bad feedback on anything for video. Like I've back, I would keep yeah. saying, I really like the video. It's really nice. It's just a different kind of touch. And actually, after I did the mail, the snail mail, I then did do a referral video and I sent out to people too. Nice. Yeah, video. It's the next best thing to being able to meet somebody face to face because they hear the intonation of your voice. They see your facial expressions. We communicate so much non-verbally that video can help convey that 
versus an email or, or even a written piece of correspondence doesn't really convey any of that. So video is huge. I, I agree. Are you doing anything to actively request reviews from your clients at this point? I have not done that yet. And so there's two reasons. One, I wasn't sure if I wanted to. But the other thing is that all the states are not in line with how they look at it. And so when I reached out to the compliance people at XY, because that's who I rely on for most of my compliance help, I was in the process of applying for registration in Virginia. And Maryland and New Jersey are the other two places I'm currently registered. And Maryland and New Jersey kind of follow the federal rules. Virginia doesn't yet. Because of that, I didn't want to go and try to do something like that and then run afoul of rules in a state that I'm applying to be registered in. Even though I, that process is done, I still kind of kept it on the back burner until that's sorted out better. In terms of local search, getting Google reviews is huge. As soon as you can take advantage of that, as soon as you're confident with that, it's really going to be one of the most important strategies because Google reviews is, is the kind of thing that's going to help you show up on Google Maps. And Google Maps is triggered when somebody does a search for financial advisor or CPA plus a city. Now, obviously, there's a small geographic area that your Google map result is going to show up in. Typically, three to five miles is kind of the sweet spot. For those people who are within three to five miles, showing up on Google Maps is one of the most important properties online that you can be found on. That's good to know. And so once I'm comfortable that Virginia is okay with it, it's interesting because I've talked to other advisors about this topic. And it's yes. definitely a very mixed reaction in terms of how people have been approaching it, because there's still a lot of unknowns, I think, about it. Yeah. Well, it's so new. It just changed at the beginning of the summer, basically. I know there's still a lot of sorting out that needs to be done. Putting together a system and a strategy to go ask for reviews is huge, because online reviews carry as much weight as a recommendation from a friend or a family member. Do you allow comments on your social media? Yes, I do. Yeah, because that's now allowed as well. Again, to increase the reach of any do, anything you're doing on social media, you've got to have that engagement. You want people to comment or like or share the content that you're posting on social because that's what really gets it in front of a lot more people. And it also helps it to show up more prominently for those people who are engaging with any content that you're posting. So I think of all the sites where I post, I get the most comments probably on LinkedIn. And so one of the things that I try to do is if I get a comment, I try to respond to just yeah. And you'll want to do that with reviews to, as well, because Google looks at online reviews and it, it wants to see that you're paying attention to feedback that people are leaving about your business. One of the ways it does that is it wants to see that you're responding to each and every review that comes in, including even ones that maybe aren't as stellar as, as you might want. Everybody has a bad day, and it's not unreasonable occasionally for somebody to have a less than five-star review. It actually can be very persuasive when people see that you respond <laughs> and acknowledge that somebody wasn't as happy as maybe they could have, but take the conversation offline. Right. Don't get into that discussion back and forth in comments back and forth to a, a review. If it's positive, you don't have anything to worry about, obviously. If it's somebody who is expressing frustration, you still want to reply and just say, we're sorry you didn't have a great experience. We want to try and make it right. Please contact me at such and such. People see that you responded, that you care, and they follow up and they trust you because they see that you care and you're trying to make things right. A negative review in some cases can turn into a positive. 
Well, that's interesting to know. And, and I will tell you that when I figure this all out, I know on Zoe, which I mentioned before, people review me and I know what my reviews are because I see them, but I just haven't given, Zoe asked me if you want them to be public and I said, yes, but not yet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you, Phil, about your blogs. Phil's been a consistent uh, blogger on financialadvisor.com. There's a question that's come up with other advisors that are on our site with regards to what should be, and, and I think Ken's got a word for it, it's called conical or conical? Canonical URL. Canonical yeah. URL. When I have a conversation with the advisor and I tell him what's well, best to actually put the original content up on financialadvisors.com because we've got a much broader width of reach and so forth than having it on yourself. And it's more beneficial that way as opposed to first putting it on your site and copying on, onto our site. I'm going to let Ken, the expert, talk about that a little bit. So why is that true, Ken? This idea of canonical URL, it's really just what Google attributes the original posting URL for that piece of content. A lot of people talk about duplicate content when it comes to search engine optimization and all that kind of stuff. Basically what happens is if you copy a blog post that you post on one site and you literally copy it and paste it and don't change it at all and publish it on another website, Google is gonna ignore that second one if it's been crawled on the first site that you published it to. Once Google crawls it and assigns the canonical URL, to the original publisher of that piece of content, it's gonna ignore it everywhere else. And so you want some content, obviously uniquely published to your website. You want some content uniquely published for that financialadvisors.com, for example. That's also a great way to build a quality inbound link from a domain and a highly topically relevant website linking back to your website is what carries a lot of SEO value. So you want to do a mix of both. And that's not to say you can't copy and paste the content, but if you're looking at it from an SEO perspective, it's important to strategically think about what am I trying to accomplish in terms of search rankings with this piece of content? Is it something that I should publish directly on my website first and then share it on my financialadvisors.com profile for other public consumption because people are going to go to financialadvisors.com and read content and consume content and never even be searching for your website, for example. So it's still important to get that content on there. But in other cases, you want to leverage the power of financialadvisors.com as a high quality inbound link to your website that sends a signal to Google that says, hey, this website felt that this piece of content was important enough to point back to your website, that's telling Google that's a trusted source. So from an SEO perspective, I know there's a lot of confusion out there. A lot of people think everything's got to be published on my website first. That's not always the case. One of the hardest things to do from a search engine optimization perspective is to get quality inbound links from websites that Google trusts and sees as an authority especially a relevant authority topically. That's really interesting because I know I am posting everything on my website first. And okay. Strategically, there's real value in looking at publishing original content on the financialadvisors.com website first, for example. Like if you're a member of a chamber, chambers usually have high authority within a local region. So sometimes you write a blog post specifically to put on the chamber website, if you're a member of a chamber or an association or wherever, because one, they have a different audience than you do. So you're going to get different eyeballs on it. But two, you're building a quality link back to your website 
hopefully you're referring your blog post back to other content on your website. That's naturally building a quality link that way. So there definitely is a lot of a strategy behind where you publish content and what you're trying to rank for. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. cool. We invited myself to be the founder of FanshaAdvisors.com and not ask Phil for a plug. So we'd like to ask you, Phil, what uh, you mentioned a little bit before, what makes our site different than a being on the XY, other platforms require CFP and so forth. But that's what that's what attracted you to FanshaAdvisors.com. If you could just tell us a little bit information about what you like about the platform, what avails you to do, because we're trying to do is differentiate our platform, our directory from other directories, because as far as I know, we're the only directory that allows the individual advisors to actually upload blogs, content, videos, podcasts. All the rest of them are somewhat static. You can change a few things, but nobody out there except us allows advisors, independent advisors, to help market themselves with regards to actively managed profile like financialadvisors.com. So I just want to let you say a few kind words about us. <laughs> sure. If I go back to what I talked about earlier, like one of the things that I'm trying to do is find ways to get my content out in other mediums. I like the fact that it's another place that I can put my content. And I like the fact that I can go there and I can see which articles are popular because that matters, right? Like I know I have one of my most popular ones that had to do with social security. Yes. That's it for me. Like I can get data on my blog when I send it out, but it's a little bit different type of data because like a lot of people are going to open it because they open my blog all the time. But this is a place where those people aren't. And I can go and see what is attracting interest. And then when I'm thinking about future topics, it can also help me think about what I write about or what might I want to do a webinar about because these are things that people are interested in. I know Social Security, I did something on inherited IRAs, I did something yes. on that. Because so, every week you guys send me that email. Right. And I can go and it tells me, I know I got one yesterday. It said I have like 30 to 40 views of what I put on. And that's not just from the last week, it's all of them. It doesn't sound like a lot, but I mean, it adds up. And when you go and look at the real numbers, it matters. And then I can also see how many visits to my profile there were and where those mm -hmm. people are located. So. It's nice to have a place that I can put something in and I can see, is it resonating with anybody or people looking at it at all? And like I said, help me figure out what topics might be of interest. So I think all those are really good things. And, you know, XY will publish my blogs too, but it's different, right? They won't let you find me to let you see my blog. You guys will let people find me there. They can go and look at my profile and find my profile and I can post my blogs and I can get information on who finds them interesting. That's all true and correct, Phil. Thanks for bringing that up because <laughs> that's what we got to get out to the the independent investor and the independent financial advisors is how distinctly different we are and how beneficial we are to them. I think you've gone a long way in helping us do that, Phil. So I appreciate that. Glad I can do that and I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear that you're actively creating content because content it is what drives so much of online presence, whether it's the voice of your strategy and the way you solve problems for your clients, or it's the engine that gives you the opportunity to create additional opportunities for search engines to find your content, whether it's on one side or another, it's hugely important. So kudos to you. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you. No, and, and I agree. I know you need to be in a lot of places. Yeah. And it's actually easier to create content than so many people realize. If you're not comfortable writing, one of the things that I recommend is every phone has an audio recorder. Just speak into your phone. Talk about your thoughts. Every time you finish a client meeting, you don't want to reveal private sensitive information, but 
talk about how you solve the problem and record that and then you can get that transcribed and that's maybe 60 80 percent of a blog post it is and another thing that i found is easy so for a while i was doing this every week and now i switched to my doer every other week is an original the ones i put on financialadvisor.com are original content on long-form content on a topic but when i just was getting into the mode if i want to blog every week i took an idea which was to share curated content mm. and so i like probably almost every other advisor, I read a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I pick, it's my five favorite reads of the week. And I take five things that I read and one, three, and five are about personal finance. Two and four aren't. They could be anything else that I found interesting. It could be self-help. It could be something about self-improvement. It could be something about sports, whatever I found interesting. And I share those based upon the data that I get. I have a, a really nice open rate for that. Then it's expanded, and now I put a little bit of something personal up front, and then I might put a little bit about what's going on in the market. But I can do that in an hour or two. I can right. get close to a thousand words because, of, like, here's the five links, and then here's three or four sentences about why this is relevant. That, that's absolutely right. That's one of the best strategies, and it's one of the easiest ways to get started. Yeah. The whole idea of content curation is so important. What's interesting is people attribute the expertise to you, even though you didn't write the article, because you're smart enough to recognize that it's quality content that's, that's worth sharing with your audience. They still attribute a tremendous amount, maybe not as, as much, but they still attribute a lot of that expertise to you because you bothered to find it and share it. I'm going to share a little story. This is one of my favorite stories about what you're talking about. So I have a friend that I had put on my list. One day he called me and he said, Phil, I want to thank you. I said, why? What's up? He said, poor guy, he was going through chemo. Oh. And he was getting my blog every week. He said, I get your blog every week. And that's what I read to keep my mind occupied. And thank you so much. Wow. It's really helping me. And then he has a son that's the same age as one of my sons. They graduated from high school. And I was at graduation and I saw his wife. And she said, Bill, her husband, loves your blog. He says, and we all get it because he's he, like the ones that he really likes. He sends them to all of us and then he'll go, did you read it yet? Did you read it yet? Did you read it yet? And the nice thing is he's, he's now in remission and he actually became a client. That I oh, that's good. Yeah. That's like, great news. Just, that shows that some people can really appreciate this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're solving a problem for somebody or even helping them to understand a problem, that concept's called value in advance. It's fundamental to building a relationship is sharing information and helping people either frame a problem or, or helping them understand how to solve a problem. And if you do that, they're going to reciprocate somehow, some way. And that's just huge. I think it's part of being a good citizen. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. in light of someone's going through chemo, that transcends financial planning. That goes back into human planning, basically. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think, Ken? Do we have enough? I think we do. Phil, this is great. <laughs> I love talking about this stuff. I work on this stuff all the time. And it's always interesting for me to hear what people have already picked up and learned. If you read a lot, you can learn a lot about all of this kind of stuff. Sometimes it's harder to apply. And I'm glad to hear that it sounds like you're doing a, a really good job. So again, kudos to you. I think that's really important. And hopefully our watchers and our listeners will pick up some valuable insights from you as well. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, thanks. I, I appreciate the thoughts that you shared as well. There's okay, some cool. good ideas yeah. for me to try to take advantage. Absolutely. I'd love to talk to you more about them if you're ever interested. There's some cool tools that are available, and I spend a lot of time playing around with that stuff. Oh, I would appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Ken. And of course, thank you. Thank you, Phil, for being our guest on the Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast. We appreciate your time and effort. Good luck to you out there. And uh, once again, thank you, gentlemen, for making this a great podcast. Have yourself a good rest of the week. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please be sure and subscribe to the Essential Financial Advisor Marketing Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to review us wherever you get your podcasts. Visit financialadvisorsupport.com for more episodes, our financial advisor directory, our blogs and video resources, and links to set up a free consultation with the hosts of this podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned.